Before there were hand-pumped engines, uh, there were teams of people in the early uh, 17th century who would fight fires with what they called a bucket brigade. Have you ever heard of a bucket brigade? I have a picture, I think, up here. All right, so basically, people would stand still, and they would, one would stand near the well, and they would uh, get the water up, and then they would pass the bucket from one person to the next to the next, and then the last person would throw the bucket on the fire to extinguish the blaze. And so that was before they had fire trucks and, and water pumps and that kind of thing. Labor-intensive, exhausting, dangerous for the guy that got the short stick and had to stand by the fire, right? Uh, but that's what they had to do, and that's what they did to the only option that they had. Now, the key was to move fast enough because it was an emergency, but carefully and calculated enough to not spill any of the water. Because a half-full bucket is not helpful. Am I right? A half-full bucket, when faced with the fire, actually endangered more people in more buildings. So every single drop counted. So in the bucket brigade, when they passed the bucket, though it was quick, it was careful. It was careful because you wanted the full bit of the water. And this made me think of how both the Old and the New Testaments are constantly talking about passing spiritual truths on to succeeding generations, right? They're talking about how uh, the task of making sure that your children and their children and their children and every generation understood the full word of God is so important because no drop should fall out of that bucket. Or generations behind you are not getting the fullness of the truth of God. So when the spiritual truths are passed down from one person to another, it's vitally important not a drop spills from the bucket. A person receiving truth needs the full bucket to experience the fullness of all that God is. George Wood is the former Assemblies of God superintendent, and he said this quote, I love it. How can we guard the spiritual deposit that has been entrusted to us? How can we give to our children and grandchildren the truths and experiences with which we are blessed? We must pass on a full bucket. And so we are in a series today on the Holy Spirit. And today I wanted to specifically talk about the gifts of the Spirit. There's a lot of questions and uncertainty about this topic. In fact, almost all of us have some experience with Holy Spirit gifts. Some of us have bad experiences with Holy Spirit gifts. Okay, some of us, uh, maybe you visited some place, and it scared you, and it, it made you feel uncomfortable, and you decided from that moment on that you would just sort of stay away from that. Or maybe someone was overly pressuring you or forceful to seek the Holy Spirit, and that put a really bad taste in your mouth. Or maybe for some of you, you grew up believing that the Holy Spirit gifts weren't for today, and so you have this, this skepticism and these questions that have gone unanswered for a really long time, and you, you know, it's just there. It is what it is. You don't really need to, you don't really want to pull it out and talk about it. We tend to have a lot of experiences. We have a lot of opinions about this subject. In fact, it's pretty polarizing. You, you almost have to decide whether you believe in it or not. And, and it can't remain neutral in your belief system for very long because what you believe about it actually really shapes how you live out your faith. If you agree with that, nod your head at me, right? I mean, you have to make a choice. You have to decide. 
If you decide it's not for today, then that gives you one direction to live out your faith. If you decide that it is, then that opens up a whole nother direction. And so what happens is when we are passing the bucket of the theology of spiritual gifts down the bucket brigade, it sloshes around. It, it, it gets kind of messy because it's the Holy Spirit. It's hard to explain. It's not A plus B equals C all the time. And other people take it from us and, and, and try to explain it to it from their perspective. Then they give it back. And when they give it back, some water shakes out of it. And then all of a sudden, our scriptural viewpoint begins to be built upon a less than full bucket. And we design what we believe about the Holy Spirit based on our own experiences or based on the ones of the people near us or their lack of that. And what we end up with is a belief about the Holy Spirit, about gifts of the Holy Spirit that isn't fully accurate or worse, is fearful or misled. But it's because we've had all these uh, experiences that, that began to shake some water out of our bucket. So here's the, here's, here's the plan today. I am not going to share with you my experience with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to share with you my opinions about the Holy Spirit or anyone else's viewpoints about the Holy Spirit. I am going to simply, as clearly as possible, give you the scriptural background on this topic. I'm going to give you the full bucket from the heart of God. And what I want you to do with that full bucket is evaluate it from the scripture as you would, not from anyone else's experiences or, or anyone else's viewpoint. And I, my prayer today is that the full bucket of the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit would shape your view and potentially change your perspective. So that's the plan. So I want to start with a guy named Peter. I think if Peter was alive today, he would be a used car salesman. Sorry, Bert. I just, I just can't imagine. That, that is the temperament and the personality of Peter. He promises Jesus his undying loyalty. He, he says, I will never betray you. I never will betray you, no matter what happens. Even if everybody else betrays you, I never will. He loved Jesus. He wanted to be with him wherever he went. But after the Last Supper, a man simply asked Peter, just said to Peter, do you know who Jesus is? Wasn't even asking him to like prove everything about him. He just says, do you know who Jesus is? And Peter instantly had no idea how weak he really was because in that moment, Peter denied even knowing Christ three times. Nope. No. No, I don't know. And when Peter denied Jesus the third time, the scripture says a rooster crowed. And in that moment, in Luke twenty-two sixty-two, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Am I the only one that has ever been in this exact same moment? Is anyone else brave enough to admit, me too, Peter? I've been there too, face to face with my own failure, overcome by, by the sorrow of my selfish behavior, a moment where you actually see into the true nature of who you are and you weep because you don't even know how to fix it. Peter has this broken moment. And coming face to face with our own selfishness and our own sinfulness in life it is, is life changing, but it is absolutely the necessary step to be used by God. And so in that moment, God was not 
kicking Peter while he was down. God was so excited and thankful that Peter was having a moment where he wept bitterly because he realized face to face with his very own failure and his very own weakness. And so when we walk through Peter's life, we see in Acts 2, it records his radical transformation. And I I love, God is so good to show us this. I believe that God shows us this in the scripture on purpose. And we find him in the upper room, praying with about 120 other people, and God pours out the Holy Spirit upon them. And along with the others in the room, Peter hears the sound of rushing wind, and he sees a huge flame of fire that comes into the room, and then it breaks into 120 smaller flames that rests on the head of each person. If you're thinking, that's weird, you're right. They also thought it was weird, okay? Nobody in that room thought that was normal. But they had this moment where they were like, something is happening supernaturally right now. Something is happening supernaturally right now, and God's Spirit so impacted the people that they all began to just speak out in prayer. Peter was right there in the middle of it, and the noise was so loud and the chaos was so great that people began to gather on the street outside of the room wondering what was happening. They they were standing there and and listening and wondering, was, was someone hurt? What was going on? What is happening in that room? And in Acts 2, 14, Peter, there's 120, 119 other people in the room. But Peter, the used car salesman, stands up and he goes to the window and he addresses the crowd. And the guy who just denied Jesus, the guy who had been terrified hiding in a room so he didn't get arrested, stands up boldly in front of several thousand people and declares to them that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, don't forget, geographically, this room is about two miles from where Jesus was crucified. And so the people that lived in that area were probably the same people who had just been shouting to crucify Jesus. They're probably the same people that were saying, crucify him, crucify him in the crowd that came to the window and said, what's going on up there? And so Peter is now speaking to these men that just killed his savior. And he's saying, watch out, because Jesus is still alive. And because he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, he had the strength and courage to do what had not been possible before. Supernatural things started to happen for Peter and through him in that moment. In fact, in Acts 2, he preached with such great power that 3,000 people were saved. In Acts 3, he prays for a crippled man. He's healed. In Acts 3 and 4, he speaks boldly on trial in front of a courtroom. The same people he had hidden from before because he was so afraid of them. In Acts 9, he prays for a crippled man who begins to walk. He prays for a dead woman who comes back to life. In Acts 12, God sends an angel to break him out of prison. So what was different? What was different about Peter? He was a Christian when he was here on earth, and he was a disciple. He he was a believer in Jesus. He talked about how how when, when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit puts a deposit in us. So he had the, the Holy Spirit in him when he was following after Jesus. He was a disciple. But something extra happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. 
Something extra happened in that moment. He was transformed. He was bold. He was powerful. He was consistent. He was filled with joy. He was never the same after he experienced Pentecost in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God took him from ordinary and inconsistent and transformed him into someone who did supernatural miracles and affected the world. Let me be clear about this. God loved him the same before and after Pentecost. God loved him the same. God was proud of Peter. God poured out his forgiveness and grace freely. And Peter was saved and was going to heaven long before Pentecost. That is not what secured his salvation. But what we see in the scripture is that there is a way of life that is far better than just surviving every week. That there is this way of life that the Holy Spirit wants to be manifest and released through us every day. And God has more for you than you ever dreamed. And I believe if Peter were here today, he would testify to that. That he would say, I was forever changed in that moment. I don't even know who I am anymore. Because the Holy Spirit came into my life in a powerful way. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is it important? Well, the scripture uh, tells us there are three primary roles of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he does three primary things. Uh, the first is salvation. Okay, in John 16, 8 through 15, the word says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. He's the one that guides us into the truth. He's the one that tells us, hey, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. He brings us to that realization. And then in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says that the moment we believe, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and marks us as God's possession forever. So if you are a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. Okay, that's really important for everyone to understand. The Holy Spirit comes in you, marks you. It's like he leaves a deposit so that when you get to heaven, you're, you're fully, you're, you're like marked by him. Okay? I think that's just the coolest image. The next thing the Holy Spirit does is makes us holy. Okay? Creates holiness in us. We call that sanctification. Now, sanctification is not optional if you are a believer in Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to become more like Jesus. He says, you got to grow. you got to change. If the Holy Spirit's in you, he's sanctifying you. He's changing you. Galatians 5, 22-26 talks about the fruit of the Spirit and how we can be connected to Jesus. And, and when we do that, this fruit grows in our life. And, and that's why before you were a believer in Jesus, you were um, short and hot-tempered. And then after you follow Jesus for a while, people say, wow, you used to be really different, right? you got to change. you got to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and all those things. Romans 8, 5 through 15 reminds us that if we live according to the Spirit's desires, we have to live that way and not to the flesh. So the Holy Spirit brings us to salvation. The Holy Spirit helps us change in sanctification. And the third thing the Holy Spirit does is empowers us for service. Okay, we see this in Acts 1, 8. When it says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be witnesses Luke 24, 49 records that Jesus telling his disciples he's going to send power from on high for them, so wait eagerly. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that specific thing, falls under the empowerment category, okay? 
It falls under the empowerment category. It's a function of the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. It is a spiritual moment following salvation where a follower of Jesus is immersed or filled with the Holy Spirit. So in my mind, I think of it like this. This is you, not by the counter. Okay, read that. Listen to that sermon last week. Never mind. Okay, y'all laughed then, but this is you right here. Okay, this is your heart. When you say, uh, Jesus, I want you to come be Lord of my life. I want you, I want to live for you forever. The Holy Spirit deposits himself in you. Okay, just like that. When you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the empowerment for service, the Holy Spirit does that. Okay? You want to see it again? Okay. <laughs> that, that's the visual of what I, what, what I can put into words. When we are empowered, when we are immersed or filled with the Holy Spirit, it's as if the cup overflows. Now, like Peter, now catch this. Just like Peter, you can live a lot of your life by allowing the Holy Spirit to function only in salvation. You can live your life, you can accept salvation, you can even move forward towards sanctification. But if you haven't experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I just want to tell you there's more. That's all. There's more for you. There's more that the Holy Spirit has. Salvation, sanctification, and empowerment. And maybe you have experienced two out of the three. And that empowerment part of the Holy Spirit is still there. It's still available for you. Now, we see this modeled in Jesus' life. I told you, I'm just going to show you in the scripture exactly where this is. Luke 3, 21 through 22, when all the people were being baptized, and at this moment they're talking about in the water, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So here, Jesus was baptized in water and in the Spirit at the same time. That doesn't always happen in the rest of the scripture, but in this moment, Jesus was baptized in water and in the Spirit at the same time. And I want you to know that Jesus did not perform any miracles before he was baptized. He could have, because he's God, but he was modeling for us that the empowerment comes from the Holy Spirit after baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit empowered him to be a witness for his father. In fact, uh, Jesus inaugurated his ministry. He began his ministry by reading Luke 4.18, which is a prophecy from Isaiah 61.1, which is in the Old Testament. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. So Jesus performed his earthly ministry by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He models that for us. And this experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, baptizing you, was so critical to the early church. In fact, we see in the scripture that if someone had received the Holy Spirit by salvation, but had not yet been empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they sent the spiritual leadership to pray for that person. 
We see that in Acts 8, 14 through 17. And I believe that the reason the baptism of the Holy Spirit was so important to the early church and the reason why it should be so important to us today is because Jesus had just given them their mission to build the kingdom of God. Jesus had just told them, hey, look, I'm out of here, but you stay here. I'll send you the Holy Spirit to help you. Remember, to be a paraclete, to be a helper, to be an advocate. I'll send the Holy Spirit to be with you. Now you go and make disciples. Now you go and spread and build my kingdom all around. And he says in Acts 1, 4 through 5, In fact, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my father promised. He says, go, wait, receive Receive that gift, and then take the message to every part of the earth. So this is why this empowerment moment is so important. Because you don't show up to your soccer game without your cleats, right? You you don't go to your trumpet lesson without your trumpet. You don't go to the doctor's office without your cell phone because you got to play Panda Pop while you're waiting, or you'll be there forever. Or whatever game of choice, words with friends, that you play. If you have an assignment, you bring all the tools you need. Jesus is saying, I just gave you an assignment. And for this assignment, you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission I have given you on earth. So wait, receive, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going about to send you on a mission that's so important, you need all the tools that I have for you to take. Now, another reason the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important is because some changes can only happen when we are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Some parts of our sanctification process, some things that God wants to do in our life, need this extra power, need this sort of like extra dynamite behind it. Uh, Some habits are too hard for us to break in our own strength. Some tendencies are too powerful to overcome. Some hurts are too deep to process. Some some pain is too deep to move beyond. But when the Holy Spirit fills our lives, it empowers us to live different. It empowers us for our habits to break. Our temptations can be overcome. Hurts are healed. Pain no longer dominates. And Jesus wants this for us. Jesus wants this for us more than we could ever want it for ourselves. You know that thing, that sin that you just keep tripping over and you just want to get over it, but you can't seem to? Jesus himself is rooting for you. He he wants to empower you to overflowing so that you can get past that pain and that heartache. So how do we know when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit? How How do we know when it happens? Well, in the scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience um, is evidenced by a sign called speaking in tongues. So um, I made a chart um, for you, and I think Jason's going to put it on the screen, um, but I'm also going to write it here. Okay. So in the scripture, there are five passages in Acts that talk about being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there are five passages. And each passage has signs when the Holy Spirit shows up. So something happens every single time. 
So in Acts 2, 1 through 4, that's the scripture we talked about with Peter, where he's in the upper room, and we see um, him and 119 other people are there, and the scripture says there's speaking in tongues that happen, there's that, those fiery flames over their head, and there's a sound of rushing wind, that those are the things that happen. Now, fire and wind uh, were both Old Testament signs of when God showed up. So actually, they did have a context of why there was fire and wind in the room. It was connected with this idea of Jehovah God, and Jehovah God used familiar things to show his presence. He wanted them to know it was him and not something else, and so he used fire and wind. Okay, in Acts 8, 14 through 19, it tells this account of Peter and John, and their lay, Peter, remember, who had this experience, and John laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. The scripture literally says they were, they were saying to people, you need to receive the Holy Spirit, and they were laying hands on them. And then it says Simon, who was a sorcerer, offered them money. And he said, listen, I saw the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll buy it from you. And of course, Peter and John say, this is not something you can buy, which blew his mind. But there was some outward evidence Something must have been happening for Simon to know and be amazed and to buy it. Now, we don't know if it was speaking in tongues that was not particularly said, but it is the most logical because it, it was when, what the other signs happened, and it was something that he, could, he wanted to buy. He wanted to collect. And so that's why I have a question mark there, because we, there was something that was happening. We don't know if it was speaking in tongues, although that is the most logical thing that we would think were happening. Okay, next, Acts 9, 17 through 19. We see Saul, uh, who was, he was formerly Saul. He was converted into Paul. He wrote over half the New Testament. And in Acts 9, the scales are falling off his eyes. And the scripture says he's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have any other details about the moment. It's pretty short. But we do know, later in the scripture, Paul says himself, um, I speak in tongues all the time. I speak in tongues frequently. I speak in tongues all the time. So this could be the moment that he experienced that language miracle for the very first time. We don't know for sure, but we do know that Paul spoke in tongues, and he spoke in tongues all the time, and so that's why I have a question mark there. Okay? Next, Acts 10, 44 through 46. Uh, when Peter, again, is speaking to a group of believers, the scripture says the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they praise God, and they speak in tongues. So praising God and speaking in tongues. And then Acts 19, 1 through 7, we see Paul laying hands on believers, asking the Holy Spirit to fill them up, and the scripture says they speak in tongues and they prophesy. So these are the references. Three of the five references specifically talk about speaking in tongues, and these two, we can pretty much say that it's logical that it was. You can make that decision for yourself as you read the scripture. But there is this consistency that an outward evidence of speaking in tongues is involved when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so some people say, why speaking in tongues? Why is that the evidence? Why can't it be like fire on our heads every time or the sound of wind? What, why is it speaking in tongues? Now, we don't know for sure. The scripture does not say why. But one thought is that the tongue is the most unruly part of the body. We see that in James 3, 5 through 8. And so when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, even the most unruly member of our body shows evidence of submission to Jesus. 
Now, speaking in tongues can be a language already known on earth, but not known to you. The scripture says those are earthly languages that we don't know, we haven't studied, but when it happens to us, we speak in that language. Or it can be a heavenly language that no one else knows on earth. Something that you can, can say and no one on the planet could interpret because it's straight from heaven. Like I said before, you do not need to speak in tongues to be saved. It has nothing to do with salvation or sanctification. It has everything to do with empowerment. You don't have to speak in tongues, but you get to. You don't have to, but you get to. It's a privilege and a way to go deeper with Jesus. The scripture says it's a gift from God. And it says God only gives good gifts. He knows what we need more than we ever will. And so he has these gifts for us. When you speak in tongues, it doesn't overtake your body and leave you uncontrollable. It's not scary. It's not spooky. It, it is supernatural. It is not normal. It's supernatural. But it, it is not scary. God will not override your desires. He, he will not force you into speaking in tongues and then you just are standing there and you don't know why you're doing it and you don't want to do it. That's not how it works. But God will accept an invitation if you ask him to fill you. But the intention is never fear. The intention is never fear. So if you feel fearful of speaking in tongues, I just want you to know that that is not from Jesus, okay? That fear is not from Jesus. Because it is not something to be afraid of. It is not something that's supposed to be making you feel uncomfortable. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you any more or any less of a Christian. It's a gift. You didn't earn it, you never will. And you can't disqualify yourself from it. And if someone else can speak in tongues but you can't, it's wrong if they make you feel like they somehow have the home field advantage. That is not what it was ever intended to be. And so on behalf of the church and on behalf of Jesus, I'm sorry if you have ever felt that way, if anyone's ever made you feel second place Christian for that. Because that's not at all what it was intended to be. It's a gift. It's something God gives. You'll never earn, but he would love to give it to you. For clarity in the scripture, and I'll kind of close with this, there are two types of speaking in tongues experiences. And this trips people up sometimes. I've had a lot of questions about this. But the difference is all about who is the focus of the communication. Okay, I hope to bring some clarity to this to you today. Who is the focus of the communication? There are times we speak in tongues in a corporate gathering. And there are times we speak in tongues in our private prayer life. Okay, there's two kinds. It's the same Holy Spirit that gives both the gifts. They both come after being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So everything we talked about so far is relevant, but there are different expressions. The communication focus for the corporate gathering of tongues, you've heard it here on Sunday morning if you've been coming here for very long, is for the people. 
Okay, the communication focus is for the people. Uh, it's for us. It's God sending a message to us so we can hear him, so we can know his heart. And he does it through someone in the congregation who has the gift of speaking in tongues, and it's this message in a heavenly language. And this type of tongues needs an interpretation. Okay? And you know why it needs an interpretation? Because if we don't know what's being said, we won't get the message. Right? If we don't know what's being said, we miss the point. We don't get the message. This is found in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to read more about it. But in a corporate gathering, if someone shares a message in tongues, there must be an interpretation because the message is for us. Now, the communication focus for the private prayer in tongues is to God. Okay, so catch this. God doesn't need us to interpret to him. It's his language, okay? He doesn't need us to, he doesn't need someone else to tell him what we're saying. He put it in us. <laughs> okay, so we don't need an interpretation for that because it's to God. He knows every language. He created every language on earth and in heaven. So you can pray in tongues all week long and you don't need an interpretation. Now, the scripture says not everyone will receive the gift of tongues to be said in the whole church, but everyone can pray in tongues in their private prayer life. Because it's to God. It's between you and God. So you can even pray in tongues at church on Sunday during worship or or during prayer. And and it's not that loud so everyone can hear it. But it's your private prayer to God. You may hear someone speaking in tongues next to you. And you might have thought, like, why is no one interpreting that? Well, that's because that's to God. He doesn't need an interpretation of what he's telling you to say. You can find this type of prayer in Ephesians 6.18 and Romans 8.26 and 27. Those are examples of that. Praying in tongues in your personal prayer life has a lot of benefits. It has a lot of benefits. You are no longer limited by your knowledge or reasoning. You have a greater ability to pray for things God wants you to accomplish because you're tapping into God's divine intellect. In fact, praying in the Spirit sensitizes us to the voice of God. It makes us more aware of his leading. Okay, so remember, when you're thinking about those two types of tongues, who is the focus of communication? That will help you understand and and separate the two types. Okay, so here's the deal. The worship team can come up. With all that said, hear this. Ready? This is the, the takeaway today. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not for you to solely speak in tongues. It's to give you the power to prove that Jesus is alive. That's his goal. It's not so that you can speak in tongues and somehow you've arrived. It's to give you the power to prove that Jesus is alive. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the finale. It is just the beginning. It is this gateway to this supernatural life. It's the starting point. You are a a miracle holder. God has put the Holy Spirit inside of you so that it can be released. And the scripture says that when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, those things can come out. We can be allowed, miracles can be released through us into the atmosphere because the Holy Spirit can use us to do those things. All right, we've covered a lot of ground today. Would you stand? Let's not cut this moment short. I know we're... We're kind of down to our time. But here's here's the deal. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you have not decided to follow Jesus, that is your first step. 
That is your first step. Before you think about any of this, you need to make a commitment to Christ to give your heart and your life to him. But you have the Holy Spirit in you if you are a believer in Jesus. And if you want more of the Holy Spirit, or you realize that you have not tapped into all that he can give you, if you want the empowerment that he gives, this is what the scripture says to do. Now, right now, I want you to to think in your, your mind, all of the experiences and the things people have told you about, try to push those out. I'm gonna give you the full bucket of theology from the word of God right now, okay? This is what the word of God says about being filled with the spirit. Repent of the sin in your life. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to come make your heart right before him. And then ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's it. Just verbalize your prayer out loud. Don't beg for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't don't say, you know, ultimatum for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just reach out and you say, God, would you fill me for the empowerment of your service? Just as simple as that. Just say it out loud. And you just reach out and you take the gift from Jesus that he offers. Create an atmosphere of expectation by praising God, by expressing your love for him. That it's not about getting this gift. It's about pursuing him and wanting to be the best witness and wanting to be have all the tools you need for the mission God has given you. Don't overthink it. I know all you overthinkers. Don't do that. Don't turn your brain off either. But don't overthink it. And just let your words say what's in your spirit. And if you hear expressions or words or syllables forming in your mind that aren't English, then just speak them out. You don't even have to say it very loud, so no one around you even needs to know. But if a word comes out that you don't know, say it again, and say it again, and say it again. It's a step of faith. And believe me, you can't make it up, okay? If it begins to happen to you, the enemy's gonna be like, you're making this up. Because you have to know what the enemy wants least is for you to be empowered to serve. Because if he can shut that down, then the kingdom of God will not go forward. The full bucket of the Holy Spirit will not be passed down from generation to generation. And so the enemy would want to convince you all of these things that you've heard before. But let me tell you the truth today. You won't understand it. You won't be perfect at it. But that's not the point anyway. The goal is not to speak in tongues. The goal is to be empowered, to be a witness, to tell everyone everywhere that Jesus is alive. And to do it boldly and to do it courageously. So here's what we're going to do. I asked some trusted friends to come up here uh, to, for prayer. We've done this every week this month. Some of you may want to come up. Come on up if you're um, going to pray today. Some of you may want to come up and say, hey, I, I want prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might have another prayer request. That's okay, too. You might need other prayer requests. You ask for that. In fact, in the scripture, the laying on of hands can activate things. It can activate things. So there may be a moment of faith. You need to come right now and say, I feel awkward, but I'm here because I want this. And people are going to say, I get it. We, we know what that felt like too. And they're just going to pray for you. Some of you are going to want to sit in your seat and that's okay. I want all of us though, to just engage in the Holy Spirit here for a few minutes. 
Some of you might have someone you came with and you say, hey, will you pray for me? And you can pray with the people next to you. But I want to encourage you just for a couple minutes here, let's lean into Jesus in this song. Let's ask for more of him for the fullness of who he is. And let's just wait on God to receive what we need for our mission. So Clint, would you lead us this morning in this song?